0: Hello and welcome to December's Fellows Choice podcast, where we will review the highlights of the December's issue of the International
1: Journal of Gynecological Cancer. I'm Sadie Jones. And I'm Navia Nair. This month, we will discuss the results of the Uterus 11 study, treatment in early stage cervical cancer, fertility preservation in endometrial hyperplasia and cancer, the optimal treatment in newly diagnosed ovarian cancer, care for transgender patients, and more. In the lead article this
0: month, Simone mar from the University of Cologne in Germany present the UTERUS-11 trial, a prospective randomized trial looking at surgical versus clinical staging in patients with stage 2b to 4a cervical cancer. The motivation for this study was the reported limitations of imaging in accurately staging cervical cancer. 240 patients with histologically proven squamous cell cancer, adenocarcinoma, or adenosquamous cancer with FIGO stage 2b to 4a were eligible for analysis. The patients were randomized on a one-to-one basis to surgical staging or clinical staging. Patient characteristics were comparable between the two groups. Surgical staging was performed laparoscopically in 96.6% of patients and led to an upstaging in 33% of patients. After a median follow-up of 90 months, there was no difference in disease-free survival between the two groups. However, in a post-hoc analysis, there was a benefit in disease-free survival for patients with Figo stage two cancer and cancer-specific survival in favor of laparoscopic
1: staging. Andrea Nika et al from Toronto present an article entitled survival after minimally invasive surgery in early cervical cancer is the intrauterine manipulator to blame This group conducted a retrospective cohort study of 224 patients with squamous cell carcinoma adenocarcinoma and adenosquamous carcinoma of the cervix stage between 1a1 and 2a between the years 2007 and 2017. 115 patients had surgery with a uterine manipulator and 109 had surgery without a manipulator. 53 were robotic and 171 were laparoscopic surgeries. They found that in patients where no uterine manipulator was used, were more likely to have residual disease, positive lymphovascular space invasion, positive margins, and positive lymph node metastases. Recurrence-free survival at five years was 80% in the no uterine manipulator group and 94% in the uterine manipulator group. However, after controlling for the presence of residual cancer, tumor size, and high-risk pathological criteria, the use of the intrauterine manipulator was no longer significantly associated with worse recurrence-free survival. Angela Santoro et al evaluated standard ultra staging
0: compared to one-step nucleic acid amplification for the detection of sentinel lymph node metastases in early stage cervical cancer. This study is a retrospective analysis of consecutive patients who underwent surgery between 2018 and 2020 for preoperative stage 1a to 2b cervical cancer. All patients had sentinel lymph node assessment with ultrastaging or one-step nucleic acid amplification which will be referred to as OSNA. 116 patients were included in the analysis with 53% in the ultrastaging group of which 49% also had pelvic lymphadenectomy and 63 in the OSNA group of which 54% underwent pelvic lymphadenectomy. Overall, 22 patients had metastatic sentinel lymph nodes, 11.3% in the ultra-staging group, and 25.4% in the OSNA group. There were two patients in each arm, 7.7% in the ultra-staging group and 5.9% in the OSNA group, that were found to have metastatic non-sentinel lymph nodes. In the OSNA group, two patients with negative sentinel lymph nodes had metastatic disease in the pelvic lymph nodes, and no patients with positive sentinel lymph nodes had metastases in the pelvic lymph nodes. In the ultra-staging group, all patients with negative sentinel lymph nodes did not have metastatic disease in other pelvic lymph nodes. The authors concluded that the ultra-staging protocol revealed higher sensitivity and more reliability in predicting pelvic non-sentinel lymph node status.
1: Yi Xiao He N. Group evaluated oncologic and obstetrical outcomes after fertility-preserving retreatment in patients with recurrent atypical endometrial hyperplasia and endometrial cancer. In this study, 25 patients, 9 with atypical hyperplasia and 16 with endometrial cancer, were included. Patients were treated for a median of 5 months, with a median follow-up time of 19.5 months. 21 patients, or 84%, achieved complete response, and four patients, or 16%, had a partial response. During the follow-up period, eight patients, 38.1%, relapsed. The time from retreatment to complete response for endometrial cancer was 7.5 months versus three months for endometrial hyperplasia. Of the 21 patients with complete response, 12 desired fertility, Eight of these twelve had a successful pregnancy, and six of these delivered full-term babies. The authors concluded that the response rate is high, and obstetrical outcomes are favorable after fertility-preserving retreatment in patients with recurrence of atypical endometrial hyperplasia and endometrial cancer. Malika Nomusavi Brodeur et
0: al. from Canada present the Turendo study. In this study, the role of neoadjuvant radiotherapy followed by extrafascial hysterectomy was evaluated in terms of obtaining local regional control in patients with endometrial cancer and gross cervical involvement. A retrospective cohort study was performed of 30 patients between 2006 and 2016 from the University Hospital of Montreal treatment protocol consisted of pelvic neoadjuvant radiotherapy and high-dose brachytherapy followed by extrafascial hysterectomy. All patients completed radiotherapy and 90 percent of patients received brachytherapy. All patients underwent surgery. Median follow-up time was 62 months during which time six recurrences were identified. All except one had distant recurrences and two had local regional recurrences. Five-year local regional control rate, disease-free survival and overall survival rates were 90.5%, 78.5% and 92.6% respectively. Two patients had grade 3 radiation-related complications and two patients had grade 3 postoperative complications. The group conclude that neoadjuvant radiotherapy followed by extrafascial hysterectomy offers good local regional control with low treatment-related morbidity in patients with endometrial cancer and overt cervical involvement.
1: Ying Lu and colleagues studied preoperative neoadjuvant chemotherapy cycles and survival in newly diagnosed ovarian cancer. What is the optimal number? a Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center team ovary study. 199 women with newly diagnosed ovarian, fallopian tube, and primary peritoneal cancer recommended for neoadjuvant chemotherapy and interval debulking surgery from July 2015 to December 2018 were included. The median number of neoadjuvant cycles was four, with 56 women receiving five or more cycles. Compared to those that received three or four cycles, women that received five or more neoadjuvant cycles received fewer or no postoperative chemotherapy cycles and had no other significant differences in clinical factors. Complete gross resection rates were similar among both groups. There were no significant differences in progression-free or overall survival when comparing three versus four neoadjuvant cycles. However, more cycles, meaning five or more, as compared to four, were associated with worse progression-free survival, even after adjustment for BRCA status and complete gross resection rates. This group, who received five or more cycles, also had worse overall survival, even after adjustment for histology, response on imaging, and complete gross resection rates. The most common reason for receiving five or more cycles was the extent of disease requiring more neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Authors concluded that despite maximal cytoreduction, patients receiving five or more neoadjuvant cycles have a poorer prognosis than those that receive three to four cycles.
0: Kool from the Netherlands Cancer Institute present central radiology assessment of the randomized phase three open-label OV-HYPEC-1 trial in ovarian cancer. HIPEC improved investigator-assessed recurrence-free survival and overall survival in patients with Stage 3 ovarian cancer in the Phase 3 OV HIPEC-1 trial. This study aimed to analyse whether an open-label design affected the results by central blinded evaluation according to a standardised protocol of all imaging studies performed in the OV HIPEC trial. The study confirms the benefit of HIPEC in terms of recurrence-free survival after central blinded evaluation. Also, Hypex specifically prevents peritoneal recurrences, but has no effect on extraperitoneal disease. These results rule out radiological bias caused by the open-label nature of the study.
1: Owens et al. from the University of Manchester published an article titled, Are trainees working in obstetrics and gynecology, confident and competent in the care of frail gynecologic oncology patients? Older patients undergoing gynecologic cancer surgery are at increased risk for post-operative complications, morbidity, and mortality. A survey was conducted to assess the confidence and knowledge of trainees in obstetrics and gynecology regarding identification and management of perioperative issues encountered in frail gynecologic oncology patients. The survey showed that two-thirds of trainees reported inadequate training in perioperative management of frail patients. Only 6% of trainees were able to correctly identify all three diagnostic features of delirium. 87% of trainees feel that introducing specialist services for frail patients would improve perioperative outcomes. The next
0: paper is a review by Chloe Alice Logital titled Psychosexual morbidity in women with ovarian cancer. Psychosexual morbidity including vaginal dryness, pain during intercourse, reduced libido and negative perceived body image exacerbates stress and anxiety and impact on intimate relationships. Despite being a priority for patients and associated with reduced quality of life, psychosexual symptoms are not documented in patients notes by clinicians. Failure to document psychosexual morbidity may reflect lack of recognition or acknowledgement of sexual problems, thus reducing the likelihood that these conditions will be addressed. Patients would like clinicians to broach the topic of psychosexual morbidity. Up to 75% of women with epithelial ovarian cancer diagnoses reported negative changes in their sex lives following diagnosis, and of those sexually active, vaginal dryness affects 81-87% to and pain 77%. Approximately 75% of women with epithelial ovarian cancer will incur clinically significant psychosexual morbidity. In addition, other common symptoms include reduced sexual desire and activity, impaired orgasm, diminished perceived body image, and reduced partner intimacy. Due to the heterogeneous quality of the studies, it remains difficult to conclusively define the risk factors that predict psychosexual morbidity in women with epithelial ovarian cancer. However, the most prevalent factors to consider include younger age, particularly less than 53 years, which may reflect a surgically induced menopause, coexisting cardiovascular conditions that are associated with a more sedentary lifestyle, anxiety and depression. Promising areas which warrant further exploration include clinician and patient tools to broach the topic, questionnaire optimization, patient education and empowerment initiatives, and interventions to tackle the potential risk factors highlighted here, such as increasing physical activity and improving mental health.
1: And finally, Trinidad LaBlanca et al present a review on transgender patients considerations for routine gynecologic care and cancer screening. In this manuscript, the authors have focused on reviewing how to care for transgender individuals, a wide range of people whose sexual identity does not align with the sex that they were assigned at birth. Worldwide, it is estimated that 25 million people identify as transgender. Gynecologists should be familiar with gender diversity, incorporate gender-neutral language, and be able to treat or refer transgender patients. Gender-confirming therapies should be considered in breast and reproductive cancer screening. Evidence supporting optimal screening and management of gynecological cancers in the trans population is weak and mostly derived from the cis population. Although most studies show that the risk of gynecologic cancers among the trans population is lower than the cis population. For individuals with familial or hereditary cancer syndromes, personalized risk estimation is challenging given the limited information currently available. Long term prospective studies are imperative to promote healthcare equity, incorporating non traditional genders and sexualities. Thank you for joining us for December's Fellow Choice articles.